This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Let us get to the panel, though, because uh, we we do have an awful lot of really good things, really interesting things, really fun things to talk about this week, because it has been a... Um, a busy week with a lot of stuff, and we're not necessarily going to talk about all the things that you think we're going to talk about. And you know why? Because they have been well handled and thoroughly handled a lot of the big, 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 big talking points with Bill Kelly, with Scott Thompson all week. So we are, there's a lot of other stuff, though, that has kind of slid under the radar that we're going to get to. Uh, first up, to my right, to your right on your radio dial... Uh, Sarah Kane, who just finished another shift, just finished a shift Ooh. here for four hours on the air, and we <laughs> convinced her to stick around for another two from CHML. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. And next to her, someone we love having back. Well, we love having Sarah, but someone else we love having back here. She uh, is formerly with CBC, with TSN, with, I don't know, all the other places. She's now the head of broadcasting and journalism at Mohawk College. Sue Prestige, thank you for coming in. Thank you very much for asking me once again. Uh there were, I suppose that when I said off the top that we're not going to talk about all the big, gigantic, juicy things, those things, as I say, they've been talked to death. And, but, and this first topic I want to bring up, though, I, I suppose in some ways it's naturally going to tie in. But a new survey was done in Canada, not in the States. And it has found that Canadians have their confidence, their belief, their trust in business, media, and government have all gone... Huge drops in the level of Canadians' confidence in media, business, and government. First of all, is anybody surprised that that's the case? I'm not surprised at all. Why? We mirror so many things about the United States, and considering what the United States is going through, I didn't expect an increase. So to see a dip, I think is reflective of, uh, you know, what's going on in the States. I just, you know, they, they... they're exposed to so much media. They're still investing in companies in the States. And the third one was government, correct? Yeah. And also, we had our own issue with, uh, you know, the prime minister basically saying re- voting reform was not going to happen this time out. A lot of people saying, okay, he went back on a promise. So if this was done quite recently, I, I'm not surprised at all. Sarah, surprise you at all? No, not really. Again, with the ripple effect coming from the states, I mean, the messaging coming just from Donald Trump, I even hesitate to say his name because we hear it so much, but it's just, you know, about fake news and fake media and just trying to discredit the media. And we do see that ripple over and maybe some seeds of doubt whether that be about the media, just because maybe people hear it so much and he's trying to make himself the only source that people can go to. Again, with government, uh, Trudeau, kind of a lukewarm year to start. And now some of the bigger issues are coming. And as Sue had said, you know, already kind of going back on one of the bigger things, which was with this democratic institutions doing this reform. I mean, if, if you can't get, you know, one of the bigger items right, you know, in this second year, I think people, their confidence is going to go down pretty quickly. I'm just reading the numbers here so we get this. Uh, government, trust in government, this is since last year. So it's just within the last year. And this, again, this is a survey that was done entirely in Canada. And so some of it, sure, as Sue says, is going to be reflective of what has happened in the States. But also, Donald Trump has only been president for a month, a month this week, I guess, which seems shocking. It seems like it's been a lot longer than that because with the endless discussion. But trust in government is down 10 points in Canada, 63%. Now, this is not who likes the current government of the day. This is just in general. Do you think the government works for you? Do you think it's there to help you? Do you think it's a positive thing 
it's down to 63%. That's we're, we're we're approaching the halfway point where almost half of the country would say no. But there's a couple of things that have gone on. Okay, you know, I, it was easy for me to say perhaps it's reflecting on what's going on down in the and states. And I don't think you're wrong. But we've had our own issues. As I mentioned about the, the voting reform, the electoral reform not happening, uh, how our um, armed services people are treated with PTSD. Um, there's been a number of those situations where, um, I mean, even internationally, how uh, the government now and in the past have also treated Indigenous people. All of those things can contribute to those numbers going down. And... I mentioned Trump. You said he's only been in office since, what, January? But the fact is that American campaign cycle went for on a year or two, for a year yeah. or two. So it was bound to rub off somehow. I thought, though, honestly, and, and where I struggle with trying to figure out some of these numbers is the idea that would this number have been different if we had a super popular person in our uh, in office right now? Right, so if you had a prime minister who everybody loved, would this number go up? And I suppose it probably would. I, I, I think people are. Tell me if I'm wrong. I think people are okay with Justin Trudeau, but kind of lukewarm. I don't think we share the same. A lot of people the same vigor that we may have had a year ago. Agree? Disagree? I see him as being still kind of shiny, and he's you know people see him as this kind of mover and shaker, and and international circles just maybe based on who he is and his family and his upbringing, he knows these people, and unfortunately we see it highlighted in some negative cases, perhaps taking a trip that was very unpopular as well. Um, but yeah, just I think he has appeal, but it really is going to come down to what he does at this point. Sorry, okay. let me let me rephrase by the way because I read the number wrong just mm-hmm. as I was doing it here. I want to I want to make sure I've got this straight. It's not 66% of people who are in favor of government who think the government is doing well by us. I got this backwards and I want to make mm-hmm. sure I clarify. 60 63% of people blame government for our problems and 66 percent hold them responsible to fix it. So we're talking about 6 out of 10 people say the government is not just not popular, is not trustworthy. They are the cause of our problems in Canada. That's a huge number. That's a huge number when you are sending your tax money off to, you know, with no choice. And we're saying, I don't trust. Six out of 10 people say, I don't trust that they are using my money to do good things. In fact, I think they're doing worse for us than good things for us. I just thought of this. I wonder if there are polling those people who didn't get their checks because of the Phoenix payment <laughs> system at the government. I'm sure they, because those numbers those, are really, to that's me, very depressing. weird. Yeah. That's they're weird because I just don't think that as Canadians, um, we're as rabid right now about the government as the Americans would be right now with those results. When you're talking about Trudeau, I agree with you, Sarah, that his profile internationally is right now stellar. If he had come back after that meeting with Trump and it had been obvious that Trump had walked all over him, uh, things would have gone south immediately for him. But he, you know, took a stance. It was apparently, you know, a good meeting. He came back without any war wounds. And then he heads off and talks to European leaders at the economic conference. Um, So I think Canadians, I'm I'm kind of shocked at those numbers. But I think they... They could have been the same no matter who was in power. Justin Trudeau has a bit of the Obama thing going on, that he would mm-hmm. win an election in the rest of the world, no problem. Yeah. Back at home, there were always, you know, there were questions. But, I mean, all right, let's move along. Uh, trust in media, down 10 points as well. Again, I, I can't be 
shocked by this? Are either of you shocked by no. this? Um, 40%, sorry, half, more than half, say they trust their own research on things now more than the media's assessment of what is going on. Okay, sometimes I get very upset with that kind of comment yeah. because there are so many sources out there. How do people know that they're resourcing the right areas? But they don't care. This but, is what this is saying. They don't care. They are okay with the fact that maybe, I, I'm guessing by this, they're okay with the fact that I will find what I want to find and I'll believe what I find and I will believe it more than if you or you or you told me it. And that's where we are. That's and that's some of the problem too, just gravitating into those same homogenous circles where the, the echo thinking, chamber. Yeah, where the thinking is all the same. And if you're searching for it yourself, maybe that's where you know you're eventually going to end up once again. And I mean, this whole it's funny because last week we were talking one of the journalism classes about the fourth estate and the fifth estate, and the fifth estate being these. Uh, pods or organizations that have gotten together to research a particular problem. Oh, I thought it was a news magazine. Yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah on CBC. I had to explain that one in, in, in class too. Um, but we were talking about the fact that the fourth estate, the professional media, the large media organizations could do a better job and are doing a better job by using the information that's supplied by the fifth estate, these organizations that are specialists within their area. So if it happens to be uh, rebels in Syria who have created their own Facebook page, et cetera, et cetera, you should be looking to see what resources are there. But I still, I have an issue with uh, people just going online and saying, the truth is there and that's the truth I'm going to believe in without... I mean, it's great. And I think there are people out there that do a fine job of balancing all those websites that they go to and coming up with, you know, a reasonable um, idea of what's going on with that particular subject. What worries me is when people see, you know, one, they go to one site, that's it. They'll never go to another site. And whatever that site says and who's ever responsible for that site, they will believe doesn't matter who it's coming from. Yeah. They will believe it. And that's frightening. Sarah talked about the, what did you say? I, I used the word echo chamber. You used mm -hmm. the, what was the phrase you used? Yeah, just that kind of homogenous like homogenous. Yeah. If right now, if on this show right now, I had brought two people, not you two, but I brought two people in who were doing nothing but bashing on Donald Trump at full throat, people listening, some people would have immediately turned the channel because they don't mm -hmm. want to listen. And they don't want to hear something they don't agree with. Meanwhile, if I brought two people on who said nothing but great things about Donald Trump, some people would turn the channel because they go, I don't want to listen to that. We do a very poor job now in our lives of exposing ourselves to opposing views of those we hold. Yes. Yeah. We, and this, I, I don't, I don't blame people if they don't trust the media. I think we have work to do to earn the trust back. I really do. But at the same time, I think it's very dangerous when, as you both just described, you go home and you essentially find the one thing or the two things that tell you exactly what you want to hear. And anyone else who says anything else is evil and off base and making up fake news and anything else. And it's not just Donald Trump who uses the phrase fake news. You know what? 95% of people in our society, they may not use the phrase fake news, but they're applying the same principle. If you write something that I don't agree with, it must be wrong. It's fake. It doesn't exist. You're wrong. We all do it. Yeah. We all do it. One of the other points that I think about, too, in terms of media and how we weigh things and how much we expose people to certain things. For instance, when Kevin O'Leary, he, he hadn't even decided he was going to run yet, but there were so many stories that were being pumped out, just like ramping him up just because of the way... He paralleled Trump. Uh, to me, 
as a person in the media, I need a little bit more than just guess what this guy because he maybe, you know, he's got the same kind of glitter that, you know, Trump does and some of the same ideas. He's outspoken and he's a TV exactly. star. And- Could this be the person that's going to, you know, take on Justin Trudeau? To me, it was a little bit problematic when he wasn't even announced yet as a candidate. What I find really problematic as well is the fact that um, business organizations are basically creating their own news. They Forget it. They're not going through mass media anymore. And the people. You mean they that, build a website and have someone oh, in their. Well, staff. yeah, basically yeah. it looks like a news report. And, um, you know, we can see editorials, av- you know, in your newspaper and that kind of thing. There is an attempt there at least to make them look different, mm-hmm. but they are editorials. And, but to see those come out and people saying, oh, yeah, look at that's got to be the truth. Are you kidding me? The reason that was written was for. Higher profits for your company, not anything else. So well, I think there are, people have to delineate what the professional media is and what other forms of media there are out there. Let's jump to business then. This is the last part of the uh, the third part of the uh, the trident, the trifecta. However, I mean the trident kind of has that pokey <laughs> thing to it. We'll go with trident. Um, trust in business is down six points. Fifty three percent of Canadians agree the pace of change in business is too fast. are worried globalization is taking us in the wrong direction. Trust in CEOs is at an all-time low, dropping to 25%. And 80% of people, now this covers all of them, 80% of people think the elites who run institutions, now that's not just business, but institutions are out of touch. If we have no faith in government, no faith in media, no faith in business, and no faith in our institutions... Where do we put our faith? On it. Where do we put our trust? How do we survive? I'm not, I'm not being ridiculous. As a society, where do you? How do you survive? Or does it all just splinter apart? I think it splinters apart. I think you're yeah. suspicious about everything going on in your life. Like, why is he doing that? It can't be that. But then you see, you know, when you're talking about executives for companies, when they see the payout that some of the people make, when when actually that person has failed in the job and is being let go, but hey, they had the uh, golden handshake of getting a bonus to leave, and it's well above what any Canadian, normal Canadian, would would take home in his lifetime, perhaps. You can see why that attitude is there, why, especially when Canadians are buying stock in companies that they've and they've earned that hard-earned cash to buy some of those stocks, and then they see the leader of the the company leave and take a lot of that hard-earned money with them. So I can see from that perspective why that trust in business would be eroded to a certain extent. But especially if we don't believe executive. in anything, if we don't believe in anything, that, that to me is troubling. It really is. That to me is troubling because it signals, again, going back to the point, if we only will believe in the thing that we say we believe in, there's no common ground. There's, I, I always go back to the day back in, uh, what, what year was it, 1984, when Ronald Reagan won the election and won 49 states out of the 50. And you go, there is no chance in the world any politician on either side of the political spectrum could win 49 states anymore. Mm-hmm. You just couldn't mm-hmm. because there is so much of a divide and so much distrust, and that's just in, in the states. I, I just wonder where we go when we don't believe in anything that exists right now. How we deal with that. That's very depressing to me. It is depressing to a certain certain extent, but um, I served on this uh, social audit on poverty in Hamilton, and we last spring, there were five of us on the panel, 
uh, listened to 29 people who stepped forward, all of them living right on the margin of poverty or below. The most heartbreaking stories about um, about living in poverty in this city. Um, but one of the things it was it was strange to hear, but one of the things that a lot of them were returning to some kind of spiritual outlet to become whether that was to get them out of the isolation that they felt when they were in poverty that they saw at least in some organized churches, maybe you know an open door, come in, yeah, join us, that kind of thing. So it depended on the person, but I would say three quarters of them said something about the spiritual aspect of their life um, hmm. being one of the happiest. The rest of it was not good at all. But there was this sense of when they were around other people or uh, when they had something like that to believe in. So I have no idea what the numbers are like. I don't know whether organized religion is seeing an increase, you know, because people are going, yes, what do I believe in? I believe in myself. Do I believe in God? Do I believe in Buddha? You know, what do I believe in? Um, so, you know, maybe... Maybe that's where these people are going. I don't know. Yeah, I think about that too, like splinter groups. I just see, and, and all these movements and protest movements and people kind of joining together and finding each other, whatever their cause is, and, and that's kind of what happens when you don't have trust in anything else. Mm -hmm. it, to me, it's very, I mean, it is, it's very depressing. I don't want to be all depressed on a Friday of a long weekend, <laughs> but when you look at these numbers, it, it just our, our belief that anything good is out there is very, very low. And I don't know how you turn that around. I don't. Because, and here's the thing. In the past, you could have had a political leader, a business leader, someone who seemed to bring everybody up. But now any political person is on one side or the other. So half the people are going to feel great and half the people are going to feel like crap and vice versa. There just doesn't seem to be someone who could, that I've seen anyway, that can do this. Anyway, we've got to take a break. Quick break. Back after this on The Scott Radley Show. Stay with us. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Brightest panel in Hamilton Radio in studio this evening, Sarah Kane from 900 CHML, Sue Prestige from Mohawk College. And you know, the timing of you guys being here is perfect. Sarah uh has been, I don't know if she still is, but has played rugby at a reasonably high level, the university yeah. level. She's yep. been an athlete. Sue has been involved in sports for many years, worked when TSN started their women's WTSN channel, Correct. Uh, has been in a lot of different things. So it's perfect that you two are here because this is the week. I think it's today that if you have a subscription to Sports Illustrated, your swimsuit edition would have landed on your porch or in your mailbox. I guess they don't have porch delivery anymore. <laughs> I know where this is going. Yes. <laughs> Me too. So... Eugenie Bouchard, Serena Williams, uh, uh, Carolyn, uh, uh, wasn't that, I can't think of her name. Wozniak. Uh, thank you. Uh, two gymnasts from the U.S. gymnastics team are in the magazine this year posing in bathing suits or parts of bathing suits. Mm -hmm. um, is this a positive, good thing for women's sports that we have attractive, fit women who have the opportunity to enhance their careers and ex and enhance their exposure, pardon the unintended pun, and f become more um, out there in the public eye? Or is this a terrible thing because it cheapens women's sports and women as athletes and just turns them into sex objects? Sarah, oh, you go first. <laughs> wow, she's laying it over to me first. Yeah, that's a bit of a loaded question because on one hand, I, I kind of want to say, you know, it's your career. Do what you're, you're going to do. I mean, if the opportunities are there and there's nothing wrong with, you know, 
these athletes showcasing the fact of how hard they've worked. I'm fit. I'm in a magazine. I work really hard. I'm a tennis player. I'm you know, a rugby athlete. We see that them, they will post photos themselves on, you know, social media and Twitter and you'll see There have it. been so, more than a few rugby teams that have put out calendars over the years. That is a very popular thing to do. With so, no clothes. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, I mean, in comparison, this is so minor and almost expected. I don't think it cheapens the sport at all, really. I mean, if anything, it's a showcase depending on, you know, what the layout is and the article or whatever it may be of what they've accomplished and who they are. The female athletes that you mentioned have had long and storied careers. Am I correct? Yes. That well, the, the, the two gymnasts, maybe not, because they're barely over 18 now. I mean, they're... Okay, but how much money have they made? Let's look at it that way. I mean, financially, they're not, they're not doing this because they mm-hmm. need the dollars, right? They do, would... They're not doing it for that. They're, and they wouldn't do it if they didn't want to. Yeah. That's and true. I say they have these amazing bodies from training... If they want to show them off, then it's their right to show them off. It's That's absolutely correct. It's there, no one's stopping them from doing it. But I heard a lot of people this week when people were talking saying, you know what this does, though? This turns women's sports into just – it turns them into sex objects again. It turns – guys watch women's sports now just to see Eugenie Bouchard, and and they don't necessarily want to watch her tennis. They want to see a cute girl running In around. In a skirt. In a skirt and and whatever. That that it's all about the sex rather than the sport. Well, I mean, if half of the people saying that could play tennis like her, (laughs) they might have an argument. But I mean, really? I I just don't buy that argument at all. Because because on the other hand, these could be the same people that years ago were saying, oh, look at them. They they look like men out there playing, et cetera. (laughs) Would it be a different argument if this was in Playboy? Or would it be the same thing? Well, actually, yeah, that, one of the points I was going to make was maybe one of the only questions is, I mean, they're in swimsuits. They're not necessarily in athletic poses with, you know, the tennis racket or the rugby ball or whatever it may be. It's often on a beach or kind of sexualized that way, perhaps. But again, nobody's forcing them to do it and they are showing their hard work. Do you remember when FIFA came out with the idea that the women's yes. soccer shorts should be like beach volleyball yeah. shorts. That was the best comparison. That was Sepp Blatter's big idea for oh, building women's man. soccer. Oh, man. And, you know, the, it, I just shook my head. In, and but he, how is this different? Because he was proposing that the only reason that he was doing that was to make their sports sexier. Yeah. When what they were looking for is some support from FIFA to make their sport credible. Yeah. You know, just to say this is a sport that and the Canadian women's team has proven that, mm-hmm. right? But I remember... You know, uh, one of our next door neighbors was Cara Lang when she played for the Canadian women's soccer team. And she was outraged, as were other members of the team. Like, you would put us in those shorts because you think more people would come to our games to watch us play? I mean, it was just, it was such an outrageous comment. So I think that's a juxtaposition of these women choosing to be in Sports Illustrated. And you asked about Playboy. I think it might have something to do with the actual um, publication. That they may perhaps they see Sports Illustrated as being uh, at a higher level than they would, you know, with more credible for sports. Yes. Yeah, I doubt whether any more pearls around their neck or skimpy things of that nature. (laughs) I I I got to be honest. I'm a little surprised that both of you 
have, are going I've, gone, there. <laughs> I've, I've gone this way. I mean, I, I kind of, as I was thinking about this, I thought, okay, we're, I, won, I, I wonder which way they're going to go. And I'm betting one of them is going to say, no, I'm, I'm a little surprised. Just because all week when this was coming out, and, and if you go on si.com, and I'm often on there for sports things, they it was just pl- swimsuit edition coming this week. So, I mean, pictures all week. And there was a lot of conversation that this is not really enhancing Eugenie Bouchard's credibility or Serena Williams' credibility as an athlete. It's just pointing to... But they're not... They don't have to justify their credibility at this point in their career. If this was somebody just Mm -hmm. starting and this was a lone player ranked, I don't know, 57th in the world, 60th, and she went and posed Playboy, then I'd be going, okay, now I I start to question Mm -hmm. why is she doing that? Is she doing that to get the attention in order to make her better recognized in her sport in which she's not doing very well? You know what I mean? But none of these women have anything to be ashamed about about their sport. And I don't ever remember having this conversation about, you know, the same kind of conversation of, wow, I mean, what is David Beckham doing? Like, you know, posing the way he does in underwear and, you know... Every other ad that he's done. On a big billboard a big that, billboard. you know, you're driving up Main Street and see. What are the Not fu- that I was looking. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> One of the funny things about this discussion is that um, ESPN, which also puts out a magazine. I don't even know if it still is published. Or th- they may or may not be. Anyway, until recently, if, if it isn't anymore, they had their own version of the swimsuit edition, except it wasn't called the swimsuit edition and it wasn't in bathing suits. It was a nude magazine. But everything was very Tasteful. tastefully covered. No, it was, it was very skillfully covered. So nothing actually showed. You would see a bum occasionally, but no delicate parts. And it was men and women. And because they posed them, usually if it was a basketball player, with a basketball, in a basketball-type pose, or with a soccer ball, or with a tennis racket or whatever, that, for whatever reason, didn't get the same flack. Mm-hmm. Nobody was... Because it was... That with that, with the way you're posing them within the context of sports, people were saying, Sarah, what you just said, this is the hard work they've put into building the kind of body that goes into sports. And they said, it's kind of like a, in a weird way, a statue of David or something where you're, you know, you're looking at the human form in its highest order doing these kind of things. Whereas the swimsuit edition is decidedly more sexy. But maybe they're trying to raise the level of the swimsuit edition by including these female athletes. Now, to be honest, I have not seen it, but they're wearing bathing suits. I'm trying to, in my own mind... For the most part. Trying to, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out why I, in the back of my mind, I object more to the ESPN magazine than I do... Do you? Yeah. There's yeah. something about that that says to me, that's creepy. Like, <laughs> when you said comparing it to David, I'm going... Yeah, guy holding a basketball in well, the front idea. of his delicate parts. <laughs> Does it like David delicate parts? No, I mean I'm just not. The idea it right with now. that with, when yeah. I say when I compare it to I David get it. is I know. that you're showing the form in its use for sports. So it's at least theoretically, it's here's what so and so looks like under their clothes, the muscles rippling, whatever, doing that particular maneuver yeah. when yeah. they are performing. Some beautiful pieces that like, you see gymnasts, especially I think of their bodies and the muscles and like some of the photography that's been done with shadows and just really highlighting like wow (laughs) that's all I can say is wow when you look at something like that there's full appreciation so you like the ESPN model as opposed to the uh, swimsuit 
I think I, I would be partial to I'm, I'm more partial. I mean, as much as I, you know what, like I said, do what you're going to do. The swimsuit model. Go ahead. But I am more partial, perhaps, to showcasing it in an athletic fashion. If that makes sense. Okay. See, so you got one of us saying one thing, one of us. So you got what you wanted. There you go. You <laughs> 50, finally 50 found split. It. <laughs> I, I, as I say, I, I, I'm very interested by it. this. Is a conversation that probably I could not have had with two guys because I, I tell you what, you know, want to know something? If I had had this with two guys sitting over there, the immediate response would, oh, sure, they would have said, great, go for it, Eugenie. They would have, in all likelihood, knowing that people are listening and that they were supposed to say something politically correct, said. Oh no no! This is not good for women's sports. Even yeah. though in their head they were saying this is great for my for everything reading. <laughs> uh, but the real, I, I, as I say, I'm 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 a little surprised. I'd love to if you're out there listening, uh, especially if you're a woman. Yeah. Uh, I would love to send me a, send me a note. Radley at nine hundred chml.com. Do you agree with Sue and with Sarah, or do you believe that this is not helping women's sports? As I say, you're entitled, everyone's entitled to an opinion. There is no, clearly Eugenie Bouchard, Serena Williams, they all, they feel the same way. They've worked very hard to construct a body and they don't mind if people see it because it's pretty much perfect right now. What do you think? Radley at 900CHML. Give me a shout if if you want to have your say on this one. We will take a quick break here on the show. Back right after this. Stay with us. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. In Toronto this week, and I think, I'm surprised this is a, a story that we're just hearing about now. I thought this would have happened long before now, and maybe it has, but we just haven't heard about it. But a middle school in Toronto has finally said, you know what? We are banning cell phones on our property. Kids who come to school with their cell phones, they got to be turned off. I don't know if they have to be handed in or something, but if you get caught using your cell phone for any reason, you're in trouble. We are not allowing it, not in school, not in the hallways, not in the property. Is this forward thinking or is this a bunch of people who are not from this generation wanting to turn back the clock to a previous generation and basically fighting an uphill battle against the inevitable bit of progress that cell phones seemingly would represent. It's funny because I talked to the superintendent for the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board today, and their policy, obviously it's a school-by-school basis both in Toronto and here, but their policy is let's have a code of conduct, let's monitor use. If I catch you using it and perhaps it's related to learning, grade. If not, I'm going to redirect you. There's no ban. It's teachers and classrooms that kind of, you know, that are the basis for how they go about it. And that's where they said they're going to leave it for now. There is the technology that will allow you to block a signal, any signal. Once you, I don't know whether you can only do it within a building or within the surrounding area, which would solve the problem rather quickly. If you can't get a signal on your phone, at least it used to be, you know, that way. I'm not sure you can do it now. But I find that a lot of teachers are trying to implement the use of cell phones in the classroom for specific things. But then you run the risk of, is every kid, depending on the the area where the school is located, does every kid have a phone? Mm-hmm. Well, no, if every kid in the class doesn't have a phone, you can't have that activity. You can't use that for an activity in the classroom, right? But you is I find it so disrespectful. Most of the time when and I find this, it's not just in the schools, but you're having a conversation with somebody and the person's going like this, which, which at this moment, I am pretending to do this on on my phone and and talk and and look at the person occasionally. It's rude. 
It's it's disrespectful to the other person. And that's when I'll call out students in class and I'll say, you know, you're being incredibly disrespectful to me. Put that phone away right now. So that's at the college level. So, And I imagine in, in, in school, especially, let's go back. I mean, you're in grade five. You're teaching a math class. Oh, wow. And some kid gets a text from a friend or <laughs> starts typing an email. I guarantee you they're not paying attention to what the teacher. So exactly. now you are going to have to go back. Because here, here's the amazing thing about all this. Uh, having had kids go through the elementary system not that long ago and being to a few parent-teacher nights, there are parents, some of you will understand what I'm talking about when I say this. Some of you might be that parent. I hope it's not. Who, you know, the obligation for the kid to do well in school does not fall on the kid or the kid's parents. It falls entirely on the teacher in their minds. If my kid doesn't do well in math, it's not because he's not doing his homework at home. It's not because I'm not spending time doing the math. It's because you, teacher, are a bad teacher. And if the teacher's up at the front of the bo- at the chalkboard or whatever we have, the smart board now doing the math, and a kid is not paying attention because he or she is on their phone, that teacher and their EQAO marks then go down. That teacher gets in trouble. I don't blame the teachers for wanting to say, no, we can't have this kind of distraction. No. We have enough distractions. We can't have this one as well because this, to me, is the biggest one of all of them. I think it's funny in Toronto, too, because a lot of the complaints were also coming from parents who were saying, oh, this is so distracting. Well, where did these kids get cell phones from? I <laughs> yeah. mean, they didn't buy be, them themselves. Yeah, there needs to be a conversation, you know, to be had between teachers and parents and or just a ban because I know... In Hamilton, there is some technology that is, you know, board approved. They have iPads for, you know, this grade to this grade. You come into this class, you do what you need to do on it and interact and engage. And great. It stays here. See ya. Next class. That's okay. But again, like you said, getting a text, like inundated with social media and texts. How can you truly be engaging with who's in front of you and speaking to you? Sue, please tell me that at the college level, you don't ever get teacher, uh, get parents calling you to speak on behalf of their kids that something, their marks aren't good enough or anything else. You, you don't have that, right? Uh, we do. And um, if they're 18 um, or if they're ju- just 18, I guess it is, we need permission from the student to talk to the parents. And I tell the parent that. I say, listen, I can't have this discussion with you. But people saying my kid didn't get a good enough grade, you need to... Well, I, they, they, sometimes they'll try to get it out of me. Is little Johnny coming to class? Oh, that one. Uh, yeah, you know, okay. it's blo- you know, his first time away from home and the whole scenario. And I said, really can't share that information with you. You know, little Johnny's above the age of 18. So I can't share that information. If you want to have a meeting with me with Johnny, the, with permission from him, then you can, we'll make an appointment. But sure, it still happens at college. Not at the same rate, of course, it would happen in high school or elementary school. But, but Sarah, but Sarah, I, I agree with you. I think the, the parents are the ones sending their, even if you buy your kid a cell phone, yeah. as a parent, you still have an opportunity to say, don't take that phone to school. Control the settings even. If, I mean, if Do you're something. Really, if, you're, if it's there as an emergency That's device right. and you have, you know, three numbers in there, here's mom, dad, and grandma, then great. That's what it's for. But to have, you know, a million different apps going at the same time and conversations happening, I mean... Or playing games. Or playing games, yeah. I would love to know if schools are allowed. I've seen this once, and it was a picture in the States from some school, and I'd, I'd love to know if a teacher could have or build some... You know, we people have those those things for their shoes. They're like a cloth shoe hanger behind mm-hmm. their door, and you can put different... If you could have one of those in your classroom, and everyone's got a marked pocket, and when you come in, you have to put your cell phone. I wonder if a teacher could literally demand 
that kids hand over their cell phones before the class or if that would be not allowed anymore. Because that to me is the answer right there. You just mm-hmm. take it out of their hands and they don't, then they're not even thinking Here's about it anymore. I think that would, yeah, I think that would work. Well, you're about families that say at dinner time, you know, phones are off the table, literally off the table, mm-hmm. that they will have a basket off to the side and all the phones go, they're turned off and they're over there. They can't be reached. And so I think in some cases in elementary and high schools, I don't know whether it's allowed, but I'm sure some teachers have tried that approach. Yeah. With us at the college level, it, we've actually written it into the policy for each program. Uh, this certainly says, you know, the use of cell phones or laptops in a manner that is not, um, I can't remember the exact wording, is, does not involve what is happening in the classroom mm-hmm. activity is strictly prohibited. But then that kind of leaves it up in the air too, but mm-hmm. how are you going to police it? Exactly, yeah. How really is it, does a teacher go about, you know, checking, oh, I've got this phone under my desk and I'm texting or whatever. How are you really going to ask for that and see whatever it was they were doing? And that's really just doing, for distracting. Right? Right, because yeah. you could use. I, when I was in high school, the big thing was you could somehow put some of the answers to your math things on your Texas Instruments calculator, so you couldn't even use calculator. Now yeah. you could literally have every answer to everything <laughs> on your smartphone for every mm-hmm. exam you were doing. You could find a way to cheat like crazy with that. Mm-hmm. But it's it's more they're talking in these in this thing for a middle school. It's the distraction. It's that you oh, well, start talk- taking pictures, you start sending texts, you start social media, everything else. That kid's not paying attention at all. There was, this happened a few years ago, but there was a professor at Queen's University who was teaching in an auditorium-like setting, like a bowl, right? And uh, he knew that half the laptops that were opened were watching movies <laughs> instead yeah. of, because he, I think it was I've either 1,600 or 1,000 people in his class or 800 or something like that. And of course, if somebody's in the seat below your seat and is watching a great movie, you honestly think you're going to be watching <laughs> calculus being done on the board up there? When your this, eyes are drawn to that. Right. So what he did was he, he said to everybody, there will be no more laptops allowed for note-taking in this entire room. <gasps> the outrage for the, I think it was one or two weeks that this was this policy would be put in place. And uh, then he said, when they were coming back, he said, well, you know, if it starts again, then I'll ban it again. So uh, you better be your own police when it came to others. So the one student behind go, just get rid of the movie. We're all going to lose our computers again, you know, <laughs> which um, I don't know. Self-policing aspect might be an interesting way to look at it. I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see if this kind of thing picks up some steam. Uh, if other schools, because this is, according to the story, this is not a board-wide ban. This is a school right. decision yeah. and the parents were involved and... I'll be interested to see if this extends because this, this to me, I think if this looks successful, you will start to see an awful lot more schools. And I bet you there's an awful lot of teachers who heard this this week and immediately took it to their principal and said, um, what about us? We're in, Mm -hmm. we're in, can we do this? And I just wonder how many principals actually want to go through the pain and the pain in the butt of trying to go through this process. Because I... You know what the funny thing is? I bet you there's an awful lot of parents that would fight this. That's the thing. Even yeah. though the parents say they want it to be, they want their kids to be paying attention, I bet there would be a lot of parents who would fight this. It's not my kid that's causing the distraction. He needs his phone. He needs to be able to reach me at home. Yeah, I, but he's not going to be reaching you in the middle yeah. of class, right? You never know. There could be an emergency. How did how did we ever reach our kids in an emergency before the dawn of cell phones? You went to the office and you told well, you know, I, Mrs. Oh. Smith, can you please yeah. call Mom my mother? Yeah. <laughs> 
No, I, I mean, I know it was more of a facetious question, but yeah, the, <laughs> we were able to get our, if, if people had family members die during school and we were able to find them in their class and take them out of class, exactly. the, you didn't need, oh, so it took an extra two minutes. It, you didn't need instant communication, right? We do, we, apparently we do now, or maybe not. Quick break. Back after this on the Scott Radley Show. Stay with us. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. We were just chatting before, as we were coming out of the break, if it sounded like we were kind of laughing, we were chatting. Um, I just came back a couple of weeks ago from a cruise. Sarah, Sarah Kane, who is here from 900 CHML, has, is talking about maybe going on one at some point, is thinking about the possibility. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sue Prestige, who is also joining us as part of the panel today, has been on one that um, Sue was just telling, like, I know... No, well, I know. I know one person. My sister had a tough experience on a cruise once because they were in a room next to a couple. I'm trying to think of the most delicate way yeah. I can possibly say this. That was exceedingly amorous and exceedingly loud all night, every night. And at some point, they finally were like, "This is anyway." You are the oh, yeah. second person I've ever met who has had a rough cruise experience. And you know what, Scott? I would have taken that noise <laughs> <laughs> over being sick for five out of the seven days we were on the cruise. I couldn't move. I was just on all that. It was weather, Some right? was free, you know. food and drink. Mm-hmm. I never could take part of. You had a weather problem. I had a bit of a weather problem. <laughs> yes, it was a hurricane that came in before we left, before we left, and uh, sort of haunted the entire trip. But yeah, it would take a lot to get me back on a ship again. See, I said to my sister, and I would say the same to you, uh, do it again. The chances of hitting two of those are so small. But anyway, we, that'll be something we talk about. I, 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 find, this very, I find this very funny because I've like nobody, no, some people are out there saying, no, we are. Nobody I talk yeah. to ever goes, oh, I went on a cruise and it was horrible. It's always fantastic. It's the new thing to do that everyone does. And then... I talked to Sue, and, and even, as one, she, yeah. even as she's talking about it, she's actually turning a shade of green <laughs> as she relives <laughs> that experience. Even the memories. <gasps> yeah, the only thing we've ever had that was uh, unfortunate was there was a, uh, we were at the very back one time of the ship, and so we had to walk, you know, a reasonable distance to the elevators, and somewhere along the way, a pipe had burst, I think, or something, so there was the smell of... Some oh, stuff. Wow. Some stuff. So you basically, it was good for exercise because you hoofed it. You <laughs> hightailed it down the hall and held, held your breath the whole way. Wow. That was the worst thing that ever happened. I thought you were going to say it was a you know, water break and no. you were reliving that Titanic. That was getting real no, scary. No, no, yeah, no, 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 no. Never, never, had, no never had that, thankfully. Never had that. Uh, it is the brightest panel on Hamilton Radio. Sue Prestige, Sarah Kane uh, in studio. Let me give you the quiz question, then we're going to get on because we have a lot more stuff to get to this afternoon, this evening, this evening. Uh, in the Eagles song, Take It Easy, very well-known song, very familiar song. You know the song. In that song, Take It Easy, where is Glenn Fry, who is the lead singer, where is he saying, where does he say he is standing in the middle of that song? In Take It Easy, where does Glenn Fry say, as part of the lyrics, that he is standing? It's a very, very well-known lyric. Everybody, when you know that song, if you're humming the song, if you're singing the words to the song, you'll come up with it. Because it's, it's a key part of the song, and it's a great bit of poetry that he sings. 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Where is the lead singer of the Eagles standing, according to him, according to the lyrics, in Take It Easy? 
Once again, 905-645-3221 or star 9900 if you think you know the answer. This week in Hamilton, Sarah, you probably covered this story for CHML here, but this week in Hamilton there was a hit and run or a a traffic accident at, where was it now? It was at uh, Wellington and um, Cannon Streets on Monday, I believe it was. And a U-Haul truck or a rented truck comes slamming into the back of a car that was moving more slowly. The positive side is that there seemed to be an inordinate number of video cameras that caught this from every conceivable angle. This was like, there were more cameras than there would have been for a movie shoot. I mean, the Super Bowl had less cameras, apparently, (laughs) than there were on this street corner. There were angles of the crash from the side, from the front, of the guy who got out and started running away. There was a shot of him going down the alleyway. There was a second shot of, from a different spot in the alleyway. I'm looking at this saying, great, because he, he turned himself in yeah. almost immediately after. There's the positive. That's the good side, okay? we All these cameras caught this guy or led to his capture. But then I'm sitting there going, do I really feel comfortable when I think about the fact that apparently our city and is bathed in cameras that doesn't matter where I go now, I'm going to be under the gaze of Big Brother. <laughs> I mean, that, that was the first thought after the, oh, good, he was caught. It's like, well, what have they seen me do? I, mean, I haven't broken any laws. I haven't done any hit and runs. But are we comfortable with this level of Big Brotherness in our city? That's, well, I was just going to say that's totally the phrase that came to mind as you were describing this was Big Brother. But though you, what you saw were a collection of... At uh, least five angles. Security videos, yep. right? Mm-hmm from individual businesses. Had that happened in a different location, I'm not sure you would have had as many. I, I mean, obviously it happened in an area where there were a lot of stores. And so did this guy just do this in the worst possible place? He in the possibly could have, but then the police go around and you know it's easy to spot the security cameras that businesses have um, and collected all those tapes. You know, whatever you like, you walking past the store doesn't matter because probably in a week's time they'd erase it anyway. I get why they do it for security purposes. I, I don't have an issue with it. I really don't. And maybe the people that were in the other two cars that this guy hit appreciated the fact that uh, you know he was found rather promptly because of the security. But the way you described it made it sound like, well, there's all these cameras that are trained on us all the time, and I don't think that's the case. Yes, the police can go around and ask, did your security camera capture this at this time? And I don't have an issue with that. I don't know. Yeah, and we certainly don't see it in every case. Otherwise, we'd have a lot more people probably just turning themselves in. Oh, yeah, that's me in that photo. Unfortunately, it's almost not the case if you're looking at it from a crime perspective. They don't always have this myriad of photos and security footage coming from everywhere. I mean, in Britain right now, they do have a huge infrastructure. I mean, every street corner has two or three cameras. You cannot go anywhere in London without being seen on film. And, and the answer is the same thing. Well, this is great for capturing criminals, for capturing wrongdoing, but I, I, there is a part of me that feels very uncomfortable with the fact that I can be, even though I'm not doing anything wrong, I have no reason to hide. It's not that I'm, I mean, I don't even know why I feel uncomfortable with this. It just is, I don't know that I should be videotaped or filmed or feel comfortable being videotaped or filmed all the time. I don't. I, you know what? I don't even think about it. Yeah, I mean, I it's not so Well, I didn't. I didn't until, yeah. as I say, until I saw this. And if you saw this on TV, if you saw this on CHCH especially or somewhere where they showed this, it looked like a professionally done movie because there were so many angles. Literally, he, th- there's the accident. 
The second vision of the accident, the guy getting out of the car, running down an aisle, a hall, an alleyway, another video of on a different side of it. I mean, it was amazing how many cameras there were. But there was also the quality of the cameras because Huge. they've become much better. Yes. In the past, when you had those security cameras, you'd see like, this ghostly, grainy figure <laughs> yeah. that you know yes. his mother wouldn't recognize him. But, you know, I just don't have an issue with it. I just think that... As you said, yeah, this happened in an area where there happened to be a lot of security cameras in that general area, in a business area. Had it happened in a residential area, I don't think you would have, you know, had that many at all. That's an interesting part that I wonder how many houses actually have this now. But I mean, no, you're right about the the quality of the cameras. This was this was a clear images. If this had have, if they these cameras had existed in 1963, we would actually know who killed Kennedy. Exactly. <laughs> if the Zapruder film had been with this kind of quality thing, we would have known. Mm-hmm. You're right, though. In, in We don't have this. And thankfully, I, for, from my perspective, thankfully, we don't have this in residential areas. Although, again, I bet a lot of people would say, well, wait, that's where all the break-ins happen. Mm-hmm. That's where all the cars are smashed into or stolen. That's where we should have video cameras then. Should right. we? Should we be then putting up, suggesting that we be putting up video cameras on the corner of every residential street so we can catch people? No, but what you're, if we're going to compare this accident happening in a business area, all of those cameras, I would imagine maybe there was one that had been put up by the city. The rest were all private security cameras yeah. to protect their own business. Just happened to be pointed in different directions and captured all of that. I think that people would have a hard time, unless they were really frightened to death, uh, with the government putting cameras in their neighborhood. I don't think, you know, they might say, oh, my neighbor's putting up a security camera, good for him, or a motion light detector or whatever they call them. Um, I don't think that would upset a lot of people. You know, if they were if they were in charge of putting up their own cameras, it's one thing to do that. But if the government were to come in and say, in every block we're going to have a security camera trained on our streets to keep you, I would have an issue with that one. Should people who put these, or businesses, and I think most businesses do, but should people who put a video camera in their house or around their house to for security, should they be required to put some sort of signage? For their neighbors to say, by the way, there's a camera here and you may be caught on tape. Or uh, honestly, or should we, or or is it okay just to say, you know what, whatever. For me, I'm so, I feel like we're so immersed in this. I mean, everybody got back to the cell phone discussion. Everybody has a good quality camera in their hands walking around. That's true Or a too. device to record audio or whatever it may be. We know this all too well in the media. So, I don't know, you're kind of walking around possibly in the spotlight or being captured in one way or another all the time. That's true. For me, it's kind of in the back of my mind. I just know it's always happening and I just let it happen. I mean, what else are you going to do? It's everywhere. Do you remember the stories prior to Christmas where people were ordering things online? They would be delivered and dropped off in their porch. And it's somebody who was following the delivery Mm. truck would wait till the delivery mm. truck disappeared and then go up on the porch and grab. Until, and then what did people start doing? They started putting in security cameras on their yep. their, um, their their front porch to That's either right. capture the images or they could watch it on a computer and with audio scare the person away. Uh, so, I don't know, do we blame it on online shopping? <laughs> Let's go around <laughs> it that way. Well, but, I mean, people have it for their kids. Yes. They have, there's now an app you can get with your thing. You can get it for your pets. You can watch your cat at home. Yeah. It's not just, what's her name on the office? Well, um, 
who had her cats back at home who watched it on her computer all the time. What was her name on the, the show The Office? Aunt, Dwight's girlfriend. No, Dwight's girlfriend. Angela. Angela, oh, yeah, Angela who had the, the yeah, right. who had the camera trained on her cats and watched it on her desk did, all the time. Speaking of recent stories, did you see about the uh, thief who broke, broke into the house? And he, I don't know why he was opening the refrigerator door. I don't know what he expected to find there. But all of a sudden, a squirrel, a pet squirrel, jumps out of nowhere and attacks his leg. That's amazing. And a pet squirrel. It, yes. And it was captured. Yeah, they found this baby squirrel and raised it to, and it was said it was kind of like a cat. It How's would come around you when it wanted to. But he protected the house when needed. Luke, can we get the audio clip from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? <laughs> squirrel! <laughs> Yeah, well, that's a, that was a new one too. Best I, Christmas movie ever. It is. It is. I, I, as I say, there's a part of me, and I'm, I'm certainly glad this guy was caught, would turn himself in, and and that we were able to do it. But it just made me very nervous to think how many cameras. And Sarah, you know what? I had not even thought of it, but you're absolutely right. Every single person now has a camera that they're carrying around at all times, and so you do anything out of the ordinary, and someone's going to turn on their camera and start filming you. Exactly. It's a question of. Mi- mi- we see it with police interactions all the time now, too. I yes. mean, and, and how those are depicted, good cop, was this a bad cop thing to do? Oh, the body cams. Yeah. yeah. And and people sell, you know, with their cell phone videos, if there's have there's some kind of interaction happening, you know, wherever that's, that's, it may be. That's, I think, what it is. I think you've just touched on it and uh, why these things make me nervous. It's because of context, right? Often when yeah. we have these snippets, we don't have the context. We've turned on the phone the reason why has someone why has suddenly someone turned on their phone because something has alerted them that something unusual is happening but we don't then see the thing that led you to turn That's on right. your phone yeah. you've turned now you don't have the the cause you only have the reaction and cases court cases have been won and lost on that very fact that mm-hmm. you know this video was taken out of context the police or we don't see what happened prior to that that instigated this reaction, so. Yeah, that's, that's I think, the thing that, so someday, you know what, one of these video cameras catches me doing something that looks like it's not right, but there could be context to it or someone else, and you say, ah, oh, it, I don't know. It, the whole, the whole, it just makes me nervous, that's all. I don't know, I, you know what it is? Maybe I'm worried I'm gonna be driving down the street with my finger buried up my nose one day, <laughs> and that's the picture that, that's, that's how I'm gonna get seen on television one day, is the guy picking, so there's gonna be a big accident, and I'll be the yeah. guy who's picking his nose, and they'll, someone will point that out and go, look at the loser picking, yeah, the, yeah that'll. Unfortunately, that's not illegal. No, so. it's, <laughs> well, thankfully, it's not illegal. If it was illegal, man, we'd all be in prison. <laughs> There's one place that we all know we can pick our nose is in our car because no one can see us when we're in our car, right? All I can think about is that Seinfeld. Yes. <laughs> no, no pick, no pick. <laughs> Quick break here on the Scott Radley Show. Back after this. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. There was, we've heard these stories before and they perpetually bother me. I always get upset by them. I always get angry by them. And I don't know why, but because they never really affect me directly, but they just seem to me to be just so outrageous. This one uh, comes from somewhere up in the Bruce Peninsula area. A cyclist who is riding on a marked cycling path with signs saying, please cycle appropriately. Don't do things that are beyond your capabilities as a bike rider does thing does something that is beyond his capability as a rider, goes over the handlebars, breaks his neck, is a quadriplegic or a paraplegic, a quadriplegic, 
and sues the city, the township, whatever it was, and wins. And we have seen this many, 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 many times. We've seen it here in town with tobogganing. We've seen people who do something that is their decision, that is their action, and yet they find a way to make the city or the host neighborhood, whatever it is, responsible for the... How do we... How do we undo this? There's got to be a way that we can, we didn't used to be this way. How do we go back to the days when people were responsible for their behavior? Less litigious. Yeah, but how do we do that? I don't know, because what happened is people started to um, pursue these lawsuits. Uh, And once again, we get back to that model of the U.S. When these stories used to come out about millions of dollars, people would walk away being paid out by cities and towns for a a crack in the sidewalk that they tripped over. And, And then, you know, that made its way up to Canada. And then you have insurance companies getting involved in this kind of thing. And what it does, it robs a society or a city of its innocence. How many people anymore would have a backyard rink where they just invite anybody in the neighborhood to come over? Sure. Not many it, people take that risk leg, anymore. Right. And if you if you know for sure, what are you going to have kids signing a waiver, release, yeah. waiver or releases before they put their skates on or make sure their parents signs or whatever? But we've lost. We have really lost something in, in society because uh, what were we talking about? Oh, um, the report came out yesterday about the use of the golf courses in Hamilton mm-hmm. and proposals that would, you know, what could we use this land for? And somebody had proposed a, a tubing park where, you know, at the escarpment where it comes down into the Stoke uh, golf course. And uh, it wasn't in the report, but somebody else I was chatting with said, oh, well, that won't happen. City will be too worried about insurance. There's a possibility that would happen, you know, yeah. that we wouldn't see that because we're with so just cause. worried about, is somebody going to sue me? With is, just cause. With because just we've cause. seen it before. But I'm just saying it's kind of destroying the innocence of, of kids who used to be able to toboggan almost anywhere and now are limited to a few hills in Hamilton. At least we've got some of the hills back for that activity. But it's just, it's, it's shocking. And I don't know whether you're going to be able to put that genie back in the bottle. I just don't know. Sarah? Sarah, yeah. it almost seems like a city is going to have to at some point, even if you if it's to the point where we've built a trail that's as safe as possible, we've put up signs saying there are dangerous spots here, avoid mm-hmm. them. You know, with ski hills, they put up the black diamond thing or whatever. They stay away from these if you're not. But here, don't do something that is beyond your capability and you still do it. I know you, you want it to, in, in a way, be that person to be responsible because they were obviously warned. Yeah, it's a big piece for me is the sign. And I obviously, you know, don't know the intricacies of the legalities of just having a sign. Obviously, there's got to be a Clearly lot. not enough. Clearly not enough. I mean, there's got to be something that they can do. But, yeah, it really comes down to people being responsible for their own actions. And unfortunately, sad- it's gone... But well, it's gone way... But it's greed that's yeah, involved. It's, really? Well, it's greed and it's a lack of being willing to take responsibility. It couldn't have been my fault that yeah. something bad happened to me. People, it couldn't be my fault. It has to be someone else's fault. I've been told that putting up a sign doesn't mean anything. Of course yeah. not. Zip. It doesn't... You could put up all the signs in the world, but if somebody wants to sue you, 
they can sue you. Well, or they, they can at least attempt to sue you. They right? say the same yeah. thing about waivers. You said, you know, you wouldn't have a kid in your backyard with those. You, saw, you could sign all the waivers you want. Totally. A lawyer will find his way around those mm-hmm. waivers and mm-hmm. say, you still didn't do this. We saw it in Hamilton with, now the tobogganing hills, some of them are back, although they now have huge yeah. hay bales everywhere and they're... Approved and uh, been vetted and whatever else for But it safety. seems we're heading, Sarah, towards an idea where cities are going to have to start just saying, you know what, we'd love to make this a livable city with mm-hmm. recreation opportunities, but my kids near our house years ago, I don't know if they still do it, in one of the schools that was near our house, they had a basketball court out in the back right. and kids would go and play yeah. after school. They, the, the, the security, not the security, the uh, super, the, the guy who looked after everything there, every night it was decided had to go out and remove the basketball nets, not just the net, the whole bracket, the whole rim so that kids wouldn't be out there because if a kid was playing on that playground, on that schoolyard after and broke his leg or fell and hit his head or her head, the liability. Liability issues. School board yeah. wasn't carrying that much insurance or say. So let's just take the whole thing away. We can't. You have schools yeah. now that won't allow balls during recess or, or anything else because we can't take the risk that some kid could end up taking a ball in the eye and being hurt. So just we'll run around. But oh, wait, wait, wait. We can't run. Walk quick. Well, you can't walk quickly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it becomes stupid. Yeah. It truly becomes stupid. I totally agree. I just think that. We've become such a fearful society, too, about not – and I've seen this sometimes. I shouldn't speak out of turn with a lot of the parents of sometimes with the people that I've known with children. They want to protect them and mothball them to the point that they don't want to ever let them try to do something on their own and fail. Mm -hmm. Mm. You know, it's all about succeeding and – but this whole idea of, you know, little Johnny, if they, if they fall over at your house, well, you're responsible for them. I'll sue you, you know. Um, I'm just surprised kids even get to go to somebody else's house anymore to go and play, you it's, know, because parents would just be so fearful that something was going to happen. And if it did happen, the person who, who's being visited by this child would go, oh, please, you know, don't, don't fall and break your leg because your parents will sue. And then on the other side, you see some of these organizations that advocate for physical activity for children, really encouraging them to engage in what they call risky play. Don't have this jungle gym that is so overdone and to the point that, you know, there's not even an edge for the, you know, to scrape a knee, you know, make it so that they're jumping and learning and engaging in new and creative ways that make your brain think differently. Did you ever break a bone when you were a kid or get stitches? Did you ever have an injury as a child of any kind? Oh, yeah, definitely. I Zoom? definitely had. Nope. Never? <laughs> never. I had I had a, oh, sorry, I broke a finger. Hand once. You had a hammer go like through the your... back of a hammer go through my hand. Like a claw of a yeah, hammer? Yeah, just like, you know, playing oh. and roughhousing with my brother. Oh, I was going to say, I thought you were going to say it was a rugby <laughs> injury. <laughs> I've had I rugby, go, plenty really? of those as well. I've, eyebrow exploded. Had to get that stary stripped. And you're fine? You're, you're walking I'm around. together, yeah. No, but, yeah. but the point is, is that we, yeah. uh, now I know that some of these things that happen and some of these lawsuits are for truly horrendous injuries. I oh, understand that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I get that part. But the fact is with everything we've just been saying, where you have a parent who doesn't want their kid to do anything where your kid could get hurt, you know, it, if a kid breaks his arm or her arm, I don't want to send my kid out to break their arm, but if they do... Deal with, Deal with it. it. They'll live. Yeah. yeah. They'll live. They'll survive if they get a stitch or two. I mean, I've had Raggedy Ann dolls have had fewer stitches than I've had. I'm 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 okay. I'm missing two toes, 
had a little accident once upon a time. Mm-hmm. We won't go into it now. Um, <laughs> now I'm intrigued. <laughs> little, little, little lawnmower issue. Let's just put it that oh way. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yes, we were talking the other day at the office that if I ever went for a pedicure, I wonder if I get a 20% discount. <laughs> but I, I, I have no idea if I do. I've never oh. gone for a pedicure. I'm sure the woman doing a pedicure does not want to see my foot, I assure you. But nonetheless, it, the whole thing is we have tried diligently to prevent ourselves from ever being accepting that we are the cause of our own problems sometimes. It's always got to be someone else's fault. It's got to be someone else's fault because I could never do something so stupid that could get myself injured. There must have been something wrong. Mm-hmm. And all I look at and think of what kind of city or town or wherever you live, what are we going to be left with a few years from now when we have to basically remove any kind of recreational opportunity because the city will say it's just not worth the... The or liability. school board. Or school board. Mm-hmm. I, I'm frankly shocked that we still have public arenas sometimes. Honestly. I mean, when yeah. you consider that people get hurt in hockey, get hurt in on fields, right? I mean, even if you're the even if you're a a group, a, a rugby club that rents a city field. Oh yeah, which we do, yeah. Somebody could turn around and say, Well, the city field was not kept up to full standard, even though even though Sarah, you signed off on the thing. You were the one who was renting mm-hmm. it, but the city there was a pothole in the field and someone stepped in it and shattered their legs. So I, I'm 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 almost looking at this thinking someday down the road we're gonna have none of this stuff. Yeah, Why I, don't would th- they? I don't think you're gonna get an argument. I mean Why something's would they? gotta something's gotta change, but I don't know how you Get back uh, to that, bring really. that change, yeah. you know, back to where we were. Do you think that, and I don't want to go on an anti-millennial bashing thing here, but do you think that kids today are being taught that they are responsible? Or do you think that they're being taught that someone else is responsible? See, I think it's the opposite. I think we're, we may be a generation away from the pendulum swinging back, but I still think mm-hmm. this generation that is in, coming along right now is still, as Sue talked about, the mothball bubble wrap generation that has been told you're not responsible for what you've done. Uh, and that all, the pendulum always swings, but I think we're still a generation away from it swinging. Hmm. Um, there, a, a lot of the, that younger group that you're talking about, um, their idea that it is somebody else's responsibility is sometimes quite evident. Uh, but I I always get a little frightened when we use the terms like millennials or yeah. yes. and that kind of sure because it's not <clears> just <throat> them by any stretch. I think it has to do with the generation that came before them and perhaps are raising them yes. to be like that or to be uh, independent or uh, for people to be responsible for their own actions is a learned experience. And that's why I say it takes it, the pendulum swings because eventually those kids eventually go, wait, this is, this doesn't make sense to me. And they do something different from what we all want it to be different from what our parents were, sure. right? We all, so, but you're right. It's not just that age group, but you look, they, there are a lot of people now who believe the government owes them something or that someone else yeah. owes them something. It's not me. It's, I'm not responsible for my behavior or my life. Someone else is. And it, it goes to the same thing. I get injured on a by tripping on a sidewalk. Hey, payday. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't have been the idiot who dragged my feet and just caused myself to fall. I'm entitled to that. Yeah. Because you know, someone money. else I'm did in, something wrong. Yeah, the entitlement factor I think plays a That's large huge. part of it. Well, I will guarantee right now that if I ever no, I can't guarantee that. I was going to say if I ever 
break my neck doing something that I will not sue someone. Okay. I would I would like to think no, but here's the other funny part. I would like to think that I would never do that. But I can't say well, I could right now and then I could the just scenario do, I can't picture which... a scenario that I could do something to myself and then blame someone else. Especially with ample warning in the form of a sign. <laughs> maybe maybe I w- maybe under those circumstances if my life had taken a horrible turn and I was just yeah. Everything was wrong. Maybe I think differently, but I can't picture that. And I bet a lot of people feel the same way. They can't picture the scenario. They would blame someone else. Do you know what I think it is, too, that some people say, look, they've got an insurance company, whether that's the yeah. city or the school. Sure, it doesn't cost them people. anything. They're not going to worry not, about it's it. Not, yeah, it's not going to cost the yeah. counselor, the city counselor. It's not going to cost, you know, a school board mm. trustee. And I think that good, good that point. may be a factor. Good point. Very good point, actually, because I think that's probably very true. Quick break here on the Scott Radley Show. Back after this. Stay with us. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Uh, in studio, Sue Prestige, Sarah Kane, uh, yours truly, with the brightest panel in Hamilton Radio. The other two, by the way, are the brightest panel. I'm just here to keep things, well, to ask them questions, really. Uh, this week... One of the, probably the controversial, the hot button topic this week in this country, there may have been something else, but certainly up there was Bill M-103, which has been discussed. It was back in the House of Commons today. And essentially it is an, it's, well, it's one of two things, and this is what's causing the consternation. It is either a bill that is specially designed to give special rights and special privileges and protections to Muslims. Or it is a protection against religious persecution and racism across the board. And the reason this has become such a hot button issue, and this is, and I understand why this has become such a hot button issue, is because the way the bill is worded, it says to, it's to develop a whole of government approach to reducing or eliminating systemic racism and religious discrimination, including Islamophobia in Canada. Now, What I don't understand in this bill, because it is controversial, there's been a lot of blowback against this. If the point of this, which is what the defenders and authors of the bill are saying is, this is to protect people of all religions from discrimination, why not take out the word Islamophobia and just say of all religions or put in Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, anti-Christian... Listen, why... The reason this whole thing has become so controversial is because you've picked one religion to highlight in this bill. Can you see a reason why it would be problematic to either go all or a more generic term that would cover all these bases? I'm trying to understand just the the overall picture of having this this motion in general, just because we do have a charter of rights and freedoms and within a reasonable limit, you are protected and are encouraged really to have, you know, your religious beliefs and practice. It's, it's kind of that old, you know, as long as you're not infringing on someone else's right to do something else then carry on. So you're covered already. So, I mean, obviously you would have to, unfortunately, if something did happen, if there was hate speech or whatever the case may be, you would have to go before the courts. I'm just trying to understand on another level, why they why they're having emotion? What the purpose and the end game of it is? If they feel like there needs to be this added layer of we need protection for people who you know are you know go to mosques or subscribe to Islam, 
Is that what it's all about? Because I feel like there are some things and checks in place to try and make sure that the Canadian population in general can really live a vibrant, as free as possible life. There was um, a question brought up. Is it a bill or is it a recommendation? Well, it's a bill, but it it's not a motion. A, it's a motion that will come forward that is just to develop. So it's not yet at the point where it's going to actually have a whole lot of teeth for anything. Right. It's to develop a whole of government approach. So we're what it is is a motion or a bill to launch a study, essentially, of how are we going to do this? How are we going to come forward with a plan that will protect people from people infringing on their religious views. So it's got to be a motion that they're trying to move forward for a study. Is that yes. right? Because if it becomes a bill, it's going to be a completely different animal. I agree that I don't know why they would have made that proposal. It sounds like uh, political, that somebody was doing it for political gain. Reactive. I don't know, you know, just yeah. to mention that sort of, you know, we're looking out for Muslim, uh, the Muslim population in the, Canada. Yeah. Why would you not, if that, if they're trying to state that this is the Canadian way, this is Canadian beliefs, then include all of them but, you know, we do, if you listed everyone, you're bound to miss one. Well, that's, so by the, that's what, the difficulty, but right? But I wouldn't use just that. I would have used uh, all religious. But you're right. Religious freedom is built into our Constitution. There so is no question. So why do you have to, uh, you know, lay, have another have a layer? study to... I mean, it would be great. Uh, it would be great, I guess, to have a study to investigate. You know, where where are we going wrong generally in society that we don't feel like these populations in particular or people are you know, really being subject disproportionately to, you know, hate crimes or, you know, people are being very intolerant of religious freedoms. Okay, I, I guess I can understand that. But again, yes, it needs to be all encompassing. And how you phrase that and work that out would be something they need to consider. Here's the difference that right now the, so the, the government has put forward this bill that would condemn Islamophobia and all forms of systemic racism and religious discrimination. While the conservatives have come forward with their motion to counter this, they're, they're, they're essentially on board with the concept. So there's nobody in the government that's not on board with this. It's a, the wording of what are we protecting. Mm -hmm. Theirs will say, uh, it doesn't mention Islamophobia specifically, but ask the House to condemn, quote, all forms of systemic racism, religious intolerance and discrimination of Muslims, Jews, Christians, Sikhs, Hindus, and other religious communities. And this is what has caused all the consternation, is why are we picking out one particular religious group when there is no doubt that there has been an increase in hate crimes against yeah. Muslims. But there has also been a huge spike in Canada, if you go look at the stats, in anti-Semitic mm -hmm. activity. So it doesn't even mention those ones. Even if you're going to identify it just by the ones that are really facing the wrath of apparently of people right now, you could say Islamophobia and anti-Semitism. I think you probably could have had people say, mm, based on the stats, based on what we're seeing, okay. Yeah, but you're you're basing it on the statistics right now. That's, uh, so of course. So if you use those two religions uh, and you only include them in the motion, then if things change, it's sort of like, oh, well, now we're going to have to change the wording of the bill. Yeah, you know exactly. what I mean? Uh, so, uh, you know, I would say any kind of, of, of anti-religious uh, activity, et cetera, uh, would probably cover it as opposed to starting to actually name religions. And the, the, the real concern, if you follow the line of thinking that the critics have with this, the real concern with this is, you're right, this is a motion or a bill to begin to study how do we 
prevent this? How do we protect people and their religious views? But by mentioning only one, Mm -hmm. the concern is, well, the study that they will eventually come up with will make any kind of negative commentary about a particular religion. And because Islam is the only one mentioned, Mm -hmm. a hate speech. So if you were to criticize something to do with the religion, uh, honor killings, which we've seen at times, or female genital mutilation, which we've seen at times, or other things, that that would be a hate crime now to speak out against that. This is what people, that this is the first step And so we want to make sure that if we're going to take this first step to protect everybody, let's make sure we're taking a step that's pointing us in a direction that is equal across the board as opposed to protecting one group. So are we arguing about the words of a motion to create a bill which has not been created yet, correct? I mean, this is just the the point of leaping off. I agree. I don't like the wording. I think it could have been worded. Uh, so that, uh, Inclusively. that the, yeah, but the, the words weren't the important thing. The important thing was that there was going to be a study, you know, about how Canadians deal with this kind of thing in our, in our country. I just think we're getting caught. I don't like the words. I don't like how it was formed. And I think they could have avoided this very easily. Somebody, somebody should have seen that and gone, are you kidding me? Is this not the most Canadian way though possible? We believe, I think most people, almost everyone believes that you should be allowed, as Sarah says, to just carry on with your life and you should not have to face hate speech. How have we come to a point where we can't even come, we can't draw up a bill without getting all tied up. It, it seems to me that it's, it would be a very simple one that almost everybody could agree upon. People got so worked up to the extent that this MP who's put this forward received mm. numerous comments, sexist comments online, on Twitter. Someone even threatened in a YouTube video apparently to shoot her. Like that's how strongly people have reacted to even just floating it out there. And she told her office staff to lock the door. That yeah. it was, uh, there were too many threats not to be taken seriously. It's a sad commentary, isn't it? There's yeah. a lot of sad commentaries. I, I, I'm hoping that, I, I really do hope, I, I have no objection to the concept behind this whole thing. But I hope they can find a way to do it. That it, If you're going to bring something like this, which is about treating people right, that you can do it in a way that everyone feels good about bringing it forward. This should not be something we're fighting over. Mm-hmm. You word this correctly. This is something I think we can all agree upon. There's no need for this to be a controversial document. There really is. I, I, am I wrong? I, I don't think this kind of thing, I don't think there's any need for us to be in disagreement about this no, there if isn't. we do it right. Mm-hmm. But what we're covering is the reaction to it, correct? I mean... Because I, of the wording, because of the seeming favoritism. Okay, I get that. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, what we follow up on mm-hmm. is the fact that she would be, I mean, some of the things that she was reading out in question period, of yes. the emails, et cetera, that she got were disgusting. They were anti-Canadian in my mind. Mm-hmm. Which is why we need, we well, need, we'd, which is why we need something like this. Which is just worded right. Right. But controversy it was. The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.